Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you this evening? I am lovely. Better for being here with you and our legions of dear listeners. So, yeah, it's good fun, mate. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Uh, Ando, run us through our social platforms, and then I'll dive into what we're doing tonight. Yeah, easy. So basically, go to any social platform and we're on it, except for TikTok. Neither you nor I are trendy enough to be on TikTok properly with a pick and drive. Platform. We might start a GoFundMe to get Ando on TikTok, though. So if you want to, if you do <laughs> nobody wants to see me nobody twerking wants to see or whatever the TikTokers do, you've just uh, proven let us know. that you don't actually watch or use TikTok. Well done. <laughs> um, but either way, hit, hit us up on any of the socials. Just search for pick and drive rugby and you will find us on there. Um, one thing we wanted to shout out was a massive, massive thank you to the absolute legends that have contributed to the pod at coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby. That's ko com slash pick and drive rugby. We, um, we are basically, we put a lot of time into the pod. We absolutely love it. And we are just hoping for some additional support to be able to make the show even better make the pot even better to improve what you receive. So there have been some legends who over the last couple of weeks have donated um, some pretty significant amounts. So we're, we're just incredibly thankful and honored and a little bit shocked as well. Yeah. <laughs> the generosity of people. So we were, we were blown away by that. Thank and you. so what that money will go towards is just keeping the pot, the pod afloat. So we, we do have to pay monthly for the platform that we use to release the pod and, and get statistics and all that sort of stuff. So we will use that money for that sort of thing. We might look at upgrading our, our tech as well to make sure that we're sounding clean and crisp. Uh, and yeah, at this stage, we haven't had to delve into our pockets to get any guests on. And it's been fantastic to be able to get the the guests and the exposure that we have through just talking about rugby and them wanting to come on and, and spread that spread their info. So, um, But a little bit of extra cash can help in some ways as well to get some of the higher profile uh, interviews in the future so we'll see how yeah, that goes exactly. as well exactly well mitch what are we covering tonight oh you have some important news that i you do have a well. massive shout out to one of our diehard fans out in the west so simon who was on the podcast uh was it last year or was it earlier this year earlier this year earlier this year when we we're doing super rugby pacific feels like a generation ago uh but simon well done did win his grand final this weekend uh for his team the nedland nomads took out the competition 32-27 against the Dirty Calamunders. So, well done to uh, Nedlands. Well done to Simon. Best player on the ground. There's a great video of him sculling a drink out of the cup, which the Wallabies will be doing in two weeks' time when they reclaim the Bledisloe. <laughs> I love the confidence there, mate. So, you've obviously teased a little bit of that. We'll be chatting Bledisloe. What else are we talking about tonight? We haven't, uh, we've been, had the opportunity to chat to Emily Chancellor. So, she is the, uh, well, she's playing six currently, but she can also play flanker for the Waratahs and the Wallaroos. So, we sit down and we chat to her about the preparation for the upcoming World Cup that kicks off in a few weeks, some news around her playing future and 
sort of the logistics behind that. Uh, so yeah, great interview there. That's coming up briefly. And then we've got Rugby Sevens that we'll, we'll delve into the results over the weekend from the Rugby Sevens World Cup, where the women did take out the whole competition and the men did finish fourth. We'll delve into that a little bit more in greater detail. And then we'll preview Bledisloe 1 this coming Thursday. So lots to chat about, lots of rugby. Very much looking forward to it. Mate, let's get involved and get into it. Let's go. We are excited to welcome the start of the New South Wales Waratahs Super W team, 12 Cap Wallaroo, occasional presenter on Stan Sports and one of the most recognisable names in Aussie women's rugby, Emily Chancellor. How are you, Em? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure. Thank you much. Thank you so much for giving some of your time when you're in the middle of the kind of training camp pre-World Cup. What does today look like for you? Yeah, today's been a big day. We had we we called Tuesdays in camp Test Match Tuesday. We um, kicked off the day with two hours on field, beating the crap out of each other, which is a lot good physical session. Um, we actually stayed um, off site today, had lunch and recovery together, and then went um, split into units and did gym, and then the forwards did some scrum and live malls. So we've had a lovely day. <laughs> There's a few sore bodies, but we're, you know, excited that we're in that final World Cup preparation camp and, you know, there's 40-odd players here um, and it's less competition and more an opportunity to really sort of start, like, honing in on detail, which is awesome. It's a nice vibe. Yeah, that must be really exciting. And are you, where are you guys currently based? Uh, we're in the Gold Coast. Yeah, cool. And will you be staying there up until, say, the week beforehand? Like, at what point are you going to be heading over to New Zealand? No, so because we're not professional athletes, we um, are in camp this week. So we, we came in on Saturday morning and we go home on Friday afternoon. And next week we all go back and work for a week or do study or whatever it is that we're doing to stay afloat normally. And then we assemble for the World Cup on the 23rd of September. Um, so it is only a week back at work. Um, and then we... I think we fly on the Sunday to New Zealand and prepare for the yeah. test match over in um, Auckland. Wow, that's such a big, um, that's such a massive challenge as well, because obviously you're going up against some pretty informed teams who are on a different, that they basically get paid full-time, they're full-time professional athletes. And so whilst we've absolutely loved the performances that the Wallaroos have put out, particularly the test match in Adelaide was an excellent, excellent match. Um, what What's the kind of vibe and the feeling around the team? Are they confident in their capacity to go out and just put in a performance that will make the supporters proud of them? Yeah, so firstly, um, we are the only non-professional team in our pool for the World Cup. Uh, so Scotland, Wales and New Zealand are all um, full-time this year. Um, I don't know if it's a sustainable model for all of them, but at the moment, we are not. Um, and I, you know, yes, of course, it impacts in the fact that we're not training together every day. Um, we do really good sessions in our states, um, what we call a player of national interest or pony sessions um, between, you know, like the New South Wales contingent all come together and train a couple of times a week together. We've given a really good schedule to follow um, sort of week in, week out. And then when we come together, sort of hit the ground running and, and fly. The reality is... I don't play rugby for money. I play rugby because I love it. So I think that's pretty much the case with all of us here. 
And it's a pretty unique place to be, to be able to play at the top end of a game in any sport and turn around and go, well, if I don't like it, don't turn up. Like when it's your job, you're paid to do it. Mm. You don't have a choice. You know, you, you're committed for a year, you're committed for five years or whatever your contract says. At the moment, if I choose not to turn up to training, I'm only letting me and my teammates down. I'm not actually bound to anything. So for me, I think we're in a great place where we get to sort of go, stuff it, let's stick it to the to the rest of the world. We might not be where we want to be. And yes, I think we really need to be there in terms of professionalism to compete long-term, but I'm ready for the World Cup. I think we're ready to just go and say, we've, we've started to put some things together really well. And this year we've played a heap of test matches, more than we've played in the last three years um, combined in one year. So amazing. Let's go and rip in and just show the world what we're made of. And the last performance against the All Blacks down in Adelaide was a really exciting indicator of that kind of rip-in attitude. There was just some incredible moments, really big crowd out there as part of the double header as well with the Wallabies playing straight after too. Uh, what was that like playing in front of that large crowd down in Adelaide and what confidence have the team taken forward knowing that you're going to be playing against New Zealand in on the 8th of October at Eden Park? Yeah, the, the game against the Black Ferns at uh, Adelaide Oval was a really good confidence builder for us to say, you know, we didn't perform the week before in Christchurch. And it's hard, it's, it's hard when you look at the game, I'll just go back to the Christchurch game and go like, we had a perfect training week. Like you don't ever have perfect training weeks, but we had a really good week of training. Everyone felt really confident leading into that Christchurch game. The warm up was awesome. Sat in the changing room, I was like, we're gonna win. Like, I know we're gonna win. And then we got absolutely blown off the park. Um, and I suppose that that just highlights the, you know, you're 2% off in anything and, and you're punished at this at, at the top end. You know, you see it in, in rugby league, you see it at um, super rugby all the time. And it's, it's <laughs> unfortunately, it's what the Waratahs experienced all of last season. And I think it's, winning is firstly a habit and we don't have that habit at the moment. But I believe we're, you know, like when we turned around, we had a, a niggly week of, of training in Adelaide. Um, just girls were, you know, we're embarrassed, we're disappointed in ourselves, we're disappointed in each other. No one wants to feel that way again. So to turn around and be able to not have a perfect week of training, have a pretty average warm up and then go out and show that we can compete. I think it is a really good confidence builder to say, don't take us for granted, New Zealand. We we can do this and we are ready to fight. And maybe we have just been building nicely in the right direction to come game one of the World Cup. And you kind of did touch on this briefly just before, but you have played New Zealand three times this year. Uh, you play them in the first game of the, the World Cup in a few weeks. Does that give you confidence that uh, you can stick it to them? You kind of know what to expect, more so than if you were playing, say, Wales or Scotland, who you haven't come up against yet? Yeah, we definitely have spent a lot of time training against their game plan, and it's it's familiar, like the way not necessarily their language but we we are quite familiar with how they've played across you know particularly this this year but you know I've, I've personally played New Zealand for more than 50% of my test matches that I've played um huge percentage so I feel like it's it's all familiar and that's that's a really big positive because it means that it's not the unknown and we're not fearful of something that we like there's no reason to fear it we know exactly what what we're up against it's just about defending the strategies that they have that are obviously working. And as you saw against us in the last two games, their offload game is a huge focus for them at the moment. And that's something we just need to learn to shut down. 
Well, it's very exciting and um, we'll have the matches. Uh, it's Wales and what was the other team? I'm just having a mental link. Scotland, thank you very much. So Wales and Scotland as well that we're playing against within those matches. So very excited to be able to support the team in uh, October as that's coming up. We did want to touch briefly on Super W because this year was a pretty bit of a breakout year with Super W. Um, unfortunately, the Waratahs women were not able to claim their what is it, like fifth or sixth or 20th successive. <laughs> fifth, fifth successive. <laughs> Yep. So um, the Fijiana and Drua were introduced into the competition and what an amazing addition they were. As a player, how much of an adjustment was it to adapt to their looser and at times more dynamic and physical style of play compared to what we experience as uh, Australian teams? Yeah, we really reveled the opportunity to have a new competitor in the Super W this year. And that's not a discredit to the other states that we've been playing against, but when you play the same teams, you train, you know, it's the same Wallaroos girls that we, we compete against and we know as friends and occasionally new talent that grow in your state. It's so exciting to have a team that was like a little bit more unknown. They are an off the cuff kind of rugby team and they brought the physicality. And as much as we lost to them in both games, we played against them in the Super W. Um, I think what they did was was really lift the standard of the game. It, also draws a really great audience through the Fijians um, supporters who are everywhere in Australia, which is so fantastic. So um, I feel like it made the eyeball, you know, of Super W bigger. We, we got more um, spectators at games. We got more people watching the game and it was more entertaining. I think the physicality, the way they play the game, like Fiji is, they, they breathe, live and breathe rugby. So that's how they play. And I think that that sort of, the passion and the the, I don't know, the creativity is something that we probably in Australia are not great at across the board. And to, to be able to play against it really challenges the way you defend and the way you attack. And it makes you play a bit more eyes up rugby. And I think that's that's only going to be a positive for us for Super W. And I you know, look forward to having the competition again, hopefully getting one over them next year. It was incredibly cool to see the way in which um in some ways, I think, and I mean, obviously, I'm looking at it from the outside. So you've got you've got the uh, eyes inside the team, but the way in which it seemed like maybe the team was shocked on the field the first time you played the Fijiana and Jura, but then in the final, the adaptation that you guys had made about your style of play and how close that game was, it was such so good to just see that um, response to the tactics and the strategies, the style of play, and to see how well you guys were able to adapt to uh, counter their game plan. Yeah, I think we were blown off the park and I think it's a it's a good reminder that we need to be better and all teams need to be better at sort of fixing things on the run and not just being like, oh, my, my game plan didn't work, so what, what am I going to do now? Like throw your hands up in the air and put your hands on your hips and, and sigh because it didn't work. Like we were blown off the park in that first game and we knew we could be, meet them physically. We played a trial game against them the year before, so it wasn't like we didn't know what was coming we watched plenty of their games. It was more just, you know, we, we, they, they were faster and fitter and more physical in the first ten minutes, and it's really hard to to play catch up in rugby, as I'm sure you know. But game two against them in the grand final, I love, like obviously devastated to have lost. Like no one wants to lose a game of rugby, no one wants to lose a grand final. But I finished that game and I thought, you know what, that has to be, like we have to be proud of that because 
it was an entertaining game of rugby. Like it felt like it, you know, we, we had the lead, they had the lead. It was sort of end to end rugby. There were big hits, there were great pieces of play. And I thought like, you know, of all the sort of spectacles of women's rugby, that has to be a great sort of position to put the women's game in. So yeah, it really did. It's disappointing, but it's also, yeah, as I said, it's awesome to have them in the competition there and they're making us better. Yeah, I was down there in Melbourne for the Super Round and for the Super W final and there was a lot of people that I heard just talking in the crowd that that final was actually probably the highlight of the weekend. The crowd atmosphere was more um, loud and involved than most of the other Super Rugby games. So well done. You actually like took the spotlight off the men for a while. Yes, as we should more and more. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. I mean, one of the things that I've absolutely loved is um, as we have been doing this pod and trying to support the Waratahs and now we're trying to do more to support the women's game. I've actually taken my son who was six at the time along to the Super W semi-final against the Reds yeah. out of Eric Tweedale. And yeah. that was just mad fun to take him out there and he absolutely loved it. We wish the final had been played in Sydney as well because we would have loved yeah. to have gone there. <laughs> so you've got a six well now he's now seven you've got a massive seven-year-old fan he loves watching the waratahs women um i think he likes it more than the men <laughs> so he's absolutely loving the games um one of the interesting points with kind of comes out from this so you you signed for the harlequins in the uk are you going to be heading there straight after the world cup or are you going to be around for some of the super w season um i've with the Harlequins uh, to start in January. So I um, obviously being a full-time worker in Sydney, um, didn't think that it was the right thing to do to ask my employer to support me all the way through this year with rugby for international sort of commitments, uh, give me the time off through the World Cup and support me through that and then say, oh, and by the way, I'm not coming back. So I said, you know what, I'm going to finish this World Cup. I'm going to come back. I'll give you proper notice proper handover and then I've sort of tied up that that part of my life and I can challenge myself on the next step forward and that does mean at the moment that I'm not going to be playing Super W but it also doesn't mean that I'm not playing Super W because it's a very convenient time of year where the Six Nations happens to fall in the same window that I believe Super W is going to be played so nothing's been confirmed yet um, so both parties because obviously there's <laughs> flights and money and contracts that need to be uh, discussed, but it's definitely not off the cards that I may feature in Super W if everything works out the way I want it to. <laughs> in the world, I will be playing Super W. Has well, there been can... confirmation of the structure of Super W for next year yet? Um, I'm not 100% sure if there has been confirmation of the structure, uh, but I imagine it will be. A similar format to this year. Um, I, all I know is that Fiji sort of Fijiana were were committed for two seasons, so I assume they're in again. That'll be excellent. So with that signing over in Harlequins, I mean, I've lived in England for a year and I'm pretty sure I got like seasonal impressive disorder, sad, just with the lack of sun and being everything being green. I needed a lot of browns and just kind of like things just drying out more within my world. Um, why the move then? Is it to pursue that full-time opportunity to get a new experience to be in England so you can do a lot more traveling during the off season? Why the signing with Harlequins? Um, I guess for me, I'm a rugby union diehard, always watched it, always loved the game. 
I find it frustrating to see that the pathway or the opportunity for for women hasn't necessarily been the same as the men. And sort of we talk about the game being a global game and there's all these opportunities. And I see it in the men and you just have I just haven't seen it from Australian players going overseas enough as like the next part of their career. Um, you know, men, you're either play Toot Shield in Sydney and then you go off and you try and get a TARS contract. If you don't get a TARS contract, you maybe go overseas and then you come back and sort of compete for an Australian contract again. Or you play for Australia for many years and then you go, oh, I'm just going to take some good bucks overseas and sort of ride out the rest of my career there. And that doesn't happen in the women. So I thought, I don't want to go to league. That's where girls in rugby union seem to go to when they're looking for the sort of the low-hanging fruit and the opportunity to feel like a superstar and play four games as well. So um, to me, league wasn't the option for me. Um, I want to show that the game has an opportunity to be global uh, and the Premier 15s is a, is a top competition across the world in terms of the women's game. And I thought, I'm not young. If I don't do it now, I'm, you know, it may not become an option for me, life, family, future, etc. Um, and also ability to keep playing. <laughs> um, so I thought, why not just see what I can do and just explore the opportunities there. Um, I, just also, you, you said profession, explore a professional opportunity. Again, it's not professional. Ah, damn. I was hoping and, uh, for you it was. Disappointing, but I think, you know, the, the contract's for one season. So it's, it's a 20 something week um, competition that starts at the end of November. Uh, so to me, to get roughly 20 games of top level rugby, potentially, you know, in comparison to a six week Super W, it's a really cool opportunity to, you know, live, I suppose I'm going to try and live the life of a professional rugby player because, you know, I don't really want to go over there and try and slog myself for six months working and then trying to play and train as well. So I'm going to try and just balance it all together. Um, but it's definitely not what we would call professional. The only players that are professional over there are the Red Roses girls. So yeah. anyone actual English team. Has there been any talk about international eligibility for the Wallaroos? Is there still the yeah. option for you to be selected next year for them after the premiership's yeah. finished? I believe the same rule is going to apply for the Wallaroos as it does for the Wallabies, which is the three players playing internationally are eligible for each international tour. So if we have two tours for next year, three players playing over in the UK or France or New Zealand could be picked each time. Uh, so if we hear of too many more players uh, being picked overseas, we're in trouble, but hopefully that's not the case. So are you telling us that there is now a chancellor law to go with the Giddo law? Is that, is that what we've coined here? <laughs> I think it was um, developed before the Chancellor started thinking about going overseas, but um, I'd like to claim that if, if, we, if it does become common uh, language, let me know. We, we definitely will start that for you, don't worry. <laughs> um, now, we've also had um, Laurie Kramer's going over to Exeter Chiefs as well. Um, yeah. who, who else signed overseas recently? Oh, Arabella McKenzie to um, Harlequins as well. Yeah, brilliant. So do you think there's going to be um, more players taking up the opportunity to get that longer season and that longer experience that you spoke to? Yeah, I think um, obviously I'm, I'm not a big, I'm, sorry, let me start again. I'm not a believer 
in leaving Australian rugby. Like to me, I want to do what I can do for this country in this country. Um, I'm desperate for that opportunity. And I know that Rugby Australia are working to, to try and create a longer competition, a bigger, a bigger pool, more professionalism. I know they're working towards it, but until that happens, I think we're all, it's, it's a sign that everyone is, is desperate for that. If we're going, if we're looking overseas or we're looking elsewhere, what we have in our past not be good enough. So, um, you know, I think it's, it is a shame that we're all looking to go overseas and I'm sure there'll be more, but I also see it as a positive because if you look at American rugby and the women or Scottish rugby or Welsh rugby or Canada rugby, where are 90% of their team playing in the Premier 15s? Because everyone's identified that it's a really strong competition. Um, so I think, you know, why not, why not join that, that movement and see what, what, what everyone's talking about. And if it's an opportunity to go and play, you know, with four or five countries, brands of rugby, that's surely going to benefit when I move back to Australia in six months time. That's brilliant. I absolutely love that heart that you're showing there for Australian rugby. Love it, love it, love it. Um, what we might do is we're going to head into what we call the locker room, where it's where we get a whole bunch of opinions from um, or questions. This time it's questions, not opinions, yeah. from fans. Um, and I've also got a few quick fire questions that I wanted to throw in there uh, at the end too. Uh, Mitch, did you have a question that you wanted to kick things off with? Yeah, so we did. We were just speaking about the whole idea of more games for the Australian women in the Super W. If you yeah. had the, I guess, CEO cap and we're giving you control, what model would you ideally like to see? How would you expand the season? What would you do to increase the amount of games that the, the women get to play in Australia? Yeah, I'd trans-tasman it straight away. It would be, uh, am I still there? Yep, we still got you. Right. Told me I'm running out of battery. Um, I would absolutely follow the boys model and make it super, super rugby trans-tasman. Australia, New Zealand, yeah, that would be that would be my simple fix. Yeah, easy. That makes a lot of sense. And actually answers one of the questions from Hugh Tyndall. Would you support a trans-Tasman Super W? Yes. Would you want those games to be double-headers with the men's competition or standalone? Mm, good question. I think I don't really care as long as I'm playing rugby. Um, I don't, I think I, I see huge merit to both. I love a standalone game, but I also really love a double header. They just need to be worked in the right way. Like we've played a few double headers uh, recently or through Super W that were at five o'clock on a Friday night. And I know that's for broadcasting because they don't want to take away from, you know, some men's game happening in New Zealand. But how are you supposed to grow spectatorship or grow a fan base if you're playing when people finish work? Yep. Yep. I, I completely hear that. Uh, I was lucky that I was a teacher and could finish work at three and then get out to the game rather than having to finish at five. So I hear that pain. Um, another question coming in from Hugh Tyndall, just to inform people in Australia, are English premiership players professional? Now you already spoke to that. Um, and so it's basically not a full-time professional wage for the kind of 20 week period. Yeah, okay. correct. The monthly, I get monthly payments. So I have to pay for rent, so I have to pay um, for my food. Um, yeah, I think I'm just, I'm more sort of just getting some pocket money, but I'm going to have to work probably 20 hours a week to to live over there. Crazy. You should start a GoFundMe. GoFundMe for Emily Chancellor's move to, <laughs> move to England. Um, okay, cool. Now, another question here coming in from Craig, known as Balumba on Twitter. 
Uh, what's been one of the biggest challenges facing women's rugby's aim of professionalism within Australia? How can supporters of women's rugby then help address that challenge? So what's the challenge facing professionalism or blocking professionalism? How can we as supporters help that? I think the major block we have at the moment in women's rugby is, is funding. Australia isn't um, the wealthiest of the codes of, rugby, of, of sport in Australia at the moment. And, um, you know, probably a priority factor comes into play there too in terms of where we spend the money. But um, ultimately, I think it's it, there isn't, the, the pie is not big enough to be able to sort of create a new professional program when it also isn't making money massively itself. So then in, in return, I would say, as a supporter, how do you fix that? Either if you're a supporter with a huge amount of money, please send it our way. Your name on our front of our jersey, I'm sure, Super W or um, but um, or Clubland. I'm sure everyone would take the money if you gave it to them. But ultimately, um, as a fan, we need engagement. So come, come to games. So buy buy tickets and sit sit in the stands. If you can't buy tickets to the, to the games, watch us on TV because obviously, the better the ratings are, the better chance we have of sort of proving that we have a value um, by merchandise. If there is specific women's Boratars or Wallaroos merchandise, buy it, support us that way. If you see good content on social media, share it, share it with your friends. The more people that see the game, the better it's going to be and the, the better the, sort of the picture grows. Um, and talk about us. <laughs> you know, there are so many people out there still that don't really know that women's rugby exists and I think the more, if you, you know, you and your, your seven-year-old son now, like a big, a big rugby fan, he tells his mate, oh, I went to this cool game, like how good, then maybe their parents will take their son to, to a game and suddenly you've got sort of a bit more than just the occasional fan and I think that's what we're struggling with is we don't really have and it probably is the fault of rugby union as a whole sort of historical problem, but we're not really followers. Like you, you look at people going to a Swans game and you're like, you don't even, you don't even watch AFL. You couldn't even tell me the rules, but it's, it's socially cool to be a, an AFL fan. Rugby isn't like that. And we need to change that. <laughs> I literally went to a Swannies game about three weeks ago because some of the dads of my son went and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I'll go. And I didn't know the rules and I've never been to a Swannies game before. And that's why I went. So we, but, yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> Mitch, did you have something you wanted to Yeah, I just wanted to shout out on that point you made around merchandise that the Wallaroo um, strip for this year, both the Indigenous and the Home Gold strip is available in both men's and women's sizes. So I've got my yeah. eye on the Indigenous strip to hopefully get one later in the year. Um, waiting yeah. to see if they release a World Cup one. But um, yeah, definitely do get behind it as well because I imagine... And I don't know for sure, but I hope that the money that is uh, made by selling that strip does go in some way to the Wallaroos. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm, I imagine that at least the, the statistics at the very least of saying that they've sold out of their women's merchandise is a sign that there is a demand for it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, all right, here's some quick fire questions for you, Em. Let's see how this goes. So look, the reality is that media needs to step up its Insta stories and TikTok game for the Wallaroos. I'm not seeing enough around and I need more TikTok within my life. So who in the squad is just the biggest pest? The biggest pest, Arabella McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Quick example of the pestiness. 
oh, she's just a complainer. She's a constant whinger. She's working on it, but she just loves the center. She'll just randomly start singing and be like, did you hear that? That was amazing. Did you, you want me to sing again? Like, it's just constant. Absolutely love it. Okay. Who loves to be heard across the entirety of the hotel? <laughs> there are a few. Sarah Nagama is definitely one that comes to mind. She just, she also loves a camera, loves to be the center of attention. So she, you can always hear her voice and hear her people. I've heard that a lot, actually. So sorry, Sarah. We've had her on before. So <laughs> I think she's getting a bit lambasted by that. Uh, who's got the best TikTok game? Who loves a nice TikTok dance? Uh, Grace Kemp loves a TikTok. Grace Kemp and Piper Dark are our TikTok queens. And uh, who doesn't say much, but when she speaks, you listen? Ooh, Shannon Parry. Definitely. Yeah. Captain. Yeah, she she's not necessarily the the loudest person in the room, but you know that when she speaks, she's got something to say and it's going to be a value. And who's the magnet? Who draws everybody together within the team and kind of is that unifying or lightning rod for the squad? Um, we have a lot of them, actually. It's it's actually really lucky we have a squad of, like, so many people that like each other. Um, <laughs> but um, probably Ash Masters is one that definitely, like, sort of pulls a group of people together um she always sort of has a little group of people around her and caitlin leaney um is also someone that sort of gravitates people to her like she's just a, a warm person and people want to be around her and who lastly who's the biggest coffee addict and has these like coffee routines and um, things that they need to do is it you i <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the last two for pack four i actually bought my own coffee beans with me and a um uh air press aeropress with to, because I just wasn't, I wasn't convinced that we were going to have good coffee at every location and there's nothing worse than having no time and bad coffee. So it's, it's unfortunately me. There are a few oat latte, oat iced latte with, you know, whatever people floating around the team, but you know, I'd say I'm, I'm the coffee gal. So, and what's your favorite bean? <laughs> I'm a big little marionette fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very nice. Um, in Balmain, but uh, not brewed, but um, blended. I don't know what, what do you, I should be more on my coffee coffee language if I'm going to make that claim, but <laughs> the bean comes from Balmain. <laughs> how good, how good. Mitch, you had a final question, mate. Um, it was announced the other week that Shani Williams is joining the, uh, the Wallaroos for the World Cup. Is there any future talk for other uh, players from the Sevens circuit to sort of make that transition across? Obviously not for this upcoming World Cup, but is there plans in place for longevity moving forward? Well, we've got, yeah, we've got um, BN Tarita and Shani coming across from the Sevens program for the World Cup, which is awesome. Um, I'm not 100% sure if there's like a commitment, but I know that um, there's talk of Rugby Australia sort of changing the contract style. So instead of being a Sevens contractor player or a 15s contract player, maybe we become just Rugby Australia contracts. So not that there becomes more control, but there becomes more of like a, you, you're, you're a rugby player. So, um, so play. Now I don't actually, I think that like having the likes of BB play in the last, last tournament um, and last game in Adelaide, uh, she probably showed or reminded a couple of the sevens girls that like, if you're fast and you're strong and you, you are a professional athlete, you're going to be amazing this game too. Um, and hopefully the likes of Charlotte Kaslick and that, um, and the seven stars that have obviously just become the, the three-peat crown um, <laughs> champions of the world 
um, <laughs> will be interested in playing our game too. It just, unfortunately, the World Cup falls in an awkward time for them mm. um, and it's their, their like compulsory rest period. So, you know, if you're choosing between going to a 15s World Cup in a game that you haven't really played, you know, because most of those girls haven't played 15s before or having a six weeks of actually downtime, I think I'd be choosing downtime too. Yeah. Yeah. Completely understandable. Well, Em, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod. If people wanted to kind of follow a bit more of the Wallaroos or a bit more of you, where would they find you on the team? Uh, Instagram is probably my main social platform. I am on Twitter, but I'm not um, I'm not a regular tweeter. So Instagram, my handle is M underscore chance or follow the Wallaroos. I think it's at Wallaroos. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and enjoy the rest of your evening after a tough Tuesday. Thank you. No worries. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks, team. Bye. All right, M Chancellor is an absolute legend, but there are a couple of things that Mitch and I wanted to unpack in a little bit more detail without M being here because we can say things that she can't. So, Mitch, what were a couple of the things that you wanted to kind of bring up or as a result of that chat? Yeah, just I guess it sitting there listening to the way she was talking and, and the preparation that they've got for the World Cup, it just, as a rugby fan, frustration comes out again. And you could tell that she was frustrated with the way that the prep has been and was saying as much as she was kind of could say, but it's not ideal and it's not good enough that these players have a week together, go back to their day jobs for a week and then regather and fly over to New Zealand. Like they should be from now paid paid through and prepped through to the World Cup. It's not good enough. It's just, it's, it's it's shocking, isn't it? Like when she said, oh, no, no, we're not in camp up until the World Cup. I was like, what? Like, I, I'm not sure if I actually like verbalized anything in that moment. But I was so surprised because it's one, two, it's literally, it's four Three Saturdays weeks. away. Yeah, It's four Saturdays away. And yet they're not full-time in camp before a freaking World Cup. It's crazy. Like, that is disgraceful. Yeah, it, I mean, there's so much work that needs to be done in terms of RA's approach to the Wallaroos and their setup. And we know that, that it's been talked about and um, we don't know what the official plan is, but we've been told that there is a plan. So that's comforting in some way. But really, the as a, as a fan of the Wallaroos, it, it doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence that we're going to be as competitive as we should be in this World Cup, that we can be that the girls aren't given the right amount of time and opportunity to prep as some of the other nations that they're coming up against, which is just frustrating because we can see, look at the sevens and we'll talk about yep. them briefly in a minute, but they've gone, um, they're top of the world at the moment. They've won everything. They're breaking records because they're getting investment. They're getting time and money put into their development. Whereas the Wallaroos at the moment feel a bit like an afterthought and it's just not good enough for the talent and the players that we have now playing in that program. Like we, like we spoke about last week um, in the conversation I had with Annika Jamison, but there's, there are financial restraints. We get that. We're not trying to be unrealistic about the expectations for women's rugby in Australia. It's not like we can say, all right, make a fully funded professional competition that runs for 20 weeks in a month's time. That just can't happen. So we get that. But there's a difference in fiscal reality and what can, be then, and what can then be done in terms of leadership and communication. And I think that's the gap that's missing at the moment is that quality communication about what that path forward is. And we'd love to hear more RA. We're not trying to crap on Rugby Australia. We're not trying to say that they're horrible people because they're not. 
obviously. They do have a plan. They've said it. But perhaps that communication and the nature of that communication and the timeliness needs to be improving and increasing as well. The and fact we understand, that, um, we understand yeah. as fans that it's baby steps and there are steps that need to be taken. We can't have a fully professionalized Super W within the next year or two, but there are steps we can take. And we should have the Wallaroos representatives compensated in some way to what we can do in the meantime is get those players on some form of contract compensation so that they are learning whilst they're, you know, uh, with the Wallaroos set up. But then they go back to club land and they can lift the players around them. We can't expect all the players in the Waratahs, the Brumbies, the Queensland Reds to be completely professional. But the Wallaroos who are there representing the country should be a step above and they should be compensated for that. And that's one way that we can start to filter that talent and increase that talent across the board. Well, mate, there was so much gold that came out of that, but that was one thing we just wanted to touch on. Anything else before we move on to our seventh chat? I think it was interesting that she mentioned that the the premiership uh, contract that she signed isn't fully professional. And there's mm. a lot of assumptions made, I think, around rugby circles that she, these players were signing to go over there because they were getting compensated for it. So that was a bit of a shock to both of us, really, when she said that. We were both quite surprised in that regard. But the way she explained it, it makes complete sense, really. If you're not being paid to play in Australia, you're not going to be paid to play in England. But you're going to be playing six weeks here or 20 weeks in England. Why would you not make that commitment? Why would you not go over to England and get that more amount of rugby under your belt? I think we do need to make sure the Chancellor law gets up and running and uh, maybe even a GoFundMe or something like that to, to help her out with, with her meals as she's over there. But either way, that's absolutely fantastic. And good luck to her, Laurie Kramer and Arabella McKenzie as they make that transition over to Premiership Rugby for a portion of next year. And excitingly, we might even see her back in the sky blue of the New South Wales Waratahs women for next season. So how good is that? That is fantastic. I mean, she, she's one of my favorite players going around in Super W or the Wallaroos at the moment. So if we can get her back playing in that competition, I'll, I'm, I'll be happy as a rugby fan. How good. Well, why don't we move on now to our sevens chat? Let's go. We move now to the Rugby World Cup Sevens competition, which was played in Cape Town over the weekend. And our Australian Women's Sevens have come away with an incredible gold World Cup medal. How good is that, Mitch? Oh, it just doesn't get much better, does it? This team doesn't get much better. is up there as, well, definitely the best women's team Australia has ever had in terms mm-hmm. of sevens. But just across all sports, no other team really has had the success that this team has had in the last 12 months. And they're just winning everything. It's it's a bit unusual to have an Australian rugby team winning everything. Winning it's great. everything. So they've won the Commonwealth Games gold medal, the World Rugby Seven Series champions, and then now the Rugby World Cup Sevens champions, all within the space of twelve months. That is just an incredible effort. Um, I'm assuming you catch the final. Yeah, I did get. I uh, got to Caught watch the, the court the final. I'm sorry. Semi. <laughs> Semi-final, I think it was, last night live. So Sunday night in Sydney around 9.30. So that was great to, to watch that. The men's then played theirs afterwards and that was a little bit more of a disappointing result. But we'll talk about that in a moment. And then I uh, didn't get up this morning for the, I think it was 4.30 or 4 a.m. It was 4 a.m. or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, got to watch the result today and geez, they, they hung on there. And, but they looked really good in that final. 
Yeah, they really did. And I think the thing that consistently amazes me about the um, Aussie Sevens women is just both their fitness. So huge shout out has to go to the whole strength and conditioning team. What was it? The, um, the crunning, the, the crying running that they've spoken about that Tom Carter of well, Tom Carter fame um, has been doing as a part of the SNC team with them. They just have this level of fitness and sharpness the, the the capacity they have to react instantly, even in the latter stages of each of the halves in what is an incredibly draining game is just amazing to watch comparative to the other teams. And what's also really um, exciting and I love watching about this women's team at the moment is just their ability to know when to make the right decisions and that they're consistently doing that. So when they go to the breakdown to contest the ball, they come away with a clean. They never really give away penalties or end up not turning it over. So they have, as a team, it's not just individual players either. You can see it across the park, across the seven players on the field. They know when the right time to go for that pilfer is and they get the ball, they get their hands on the ball, they spread it wide and they score points. And they're just so clinical. And that was one of the things that started to um, let them down across both the semi-final and the final itself was their um, penalty rate. So whilst they do have that moment of inserting themselves at the right opportunities, there were a few times they were caught offside, weren't on their feet when contesting the ruck or uh, just a few small errors. Uh, at the, the first half of the final were five penalties to nil in favour of New Zealand, yet we still went ahead 12-10 into the break in the lead. So that was just amazing to see how despite the fact that they were pushing the defensive line and trying to apply ruck pressure and a defensive line speed that really got the New Zealand team on the back foot, it, they were still able to hold off with a lopsided penalty camp. Yeah, and that's the thing with this team as well. And I, I guess it comes from winning those previous tournaments this year that they never panicked and they never looked like they were unsure of what the next play was going to be or who to get the ball to. They were making the right decisions at the right times and they, they looked like a really cohesive unit. Uh, and, you know, the results speak for themselves. Three crowns out of three tournaments this year. Fantastic result. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, we could go through and name so many players that have just been absolutely incredible across the season. I think um, I <laughs> I don't even know where to start. You could just go the absolute basics. Um, I think Madison Ashby has just been an absolute standout this year. She's kind of like, in my mind, I see her as the rapier. The, the kind of precision instrument that slices through the end of an attacking move when the inside players like your Charlotte Kaslicks and your Faith Nathans and well, actually Faith Nathan isn't a finisher, isn't a playmaker, but they've done all the work on the inside and Maddie Ashby just, just finishes it off. She got another double within the final. I think that's the second time she's got a double against New Zealand in a kind of cup final situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think both the, uh, the Levi sisters have just gone from strength to strength this year, breakout year for both of them. And I think it was mm. the semifinal last night where they, one of them made a break and then they pass it to the sister to score. And it's just like, you, you want to be sitting there with the, with the parents going off in the living room at home for those kind of uh, encounters. It's really, really cool to see. Imagine if there's like, it's kind of like the Barrett brothers, you know, how all of them are just like these incredible level athletes in New Zealand rugby, but then the eldest Barrett brother, I'm pretty sure is a farmer and doesn't, doesn't play <laughs> rugby. I just wonder like what other things, the like if siblings, there are, yeah. Yeah. If, if there are more Levi's going around, what do they do? And are they also like just incredible at that too? 
Um, <laughs> because you just get, I, I, I get frustrated when you have these families that just seem to be good at everything. I'm like, where, where did my stuff go? <laughs> I saw a really, I saw a really cool piece of, um, of media when they got back from the, uh, com games this year, their manager is Matt Rogers, former Wallaby oh, yeah. and NRL. He's their manager. So he was, um, he was doing a bit of an interview with them both on the Gold Coast and he was very emotional and was just saying how like he's known the girls for a long time and seeing their talent and development over the last few years and just now getting to see them sort of reap those rewards from all the hard work that they've put in. He said he was, he was in tears when he was watching them play the, the Com Games final. So I imagine again, he's up there uh, cheering on with them and, and getting up and watching at 4am this morning. Well, how important is that, the idea that if our women are provided with a uh, permanent high-performance system, they can achieve at this world-beating level? And, I mean, it's really important for the conversation that we've already had with Emily Chancellor, but that speaks to the idea of what could our Wallaroos be if they were given that same amount of uh, organizational and financial support. Now, obviously, the Sevens program has a benefit of being a part of the Olympics program, so they get a lot of funding through the um, Australian Olympic Committee. Mm -hmm. So it is a slightly different scenario, but just just imagine what women's rugby could be with the right funding. And it, it, the, the whole idea, I guess, and there's so much to talk about on that piece, and we could do like a week's worth of podcasts on it, um, but the potential that it has, and we did see from the the first what the rio olympics when the girls won gold in that the effect that it had on the sevens program and development in australia that every Mm. all girls in all high schools wanted to play sevens from that point and so if we can get the wallaroos competing at a a higher level and getting them to have that next level of development then it's going to be a standout for those young girls as well who were already starting to get that exposure a little bit but the more we can do, the more money we can put into the program, the more professional we can make it, the more that we can get those results for young girls to sit at home and see the Wallaroos performing consistently, um, then it just goes to show we can be one of those big nations up there. How exciting. I mean, look, we've, like we spoke about with Annika last week, we've got an opportunity over the coming few months to really kind of step up with the game of women's rugby in Australia. And I'm really hoping that RA hears a lot of the noises that are coming out from kind of the groundswell of support and and is able to make that positive change. Uh, We do need to talk about the men's competition um, or the men's team. They finished a very respectable fourth within the competition, going down to the eventual winners, Fiji, within a semifinal, and then just losing their bronze place playoff to Ireland within the final play of the game. So it's heartbreaking for them to not get onto the medal podium. But Regardless, John Menenti and obviously Tim Walsh for the women's team should be incredibly proud of what their teams have produced. Both of them World Series champions. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, who, who would have said going into the World, uh, World Series, is that what it's called for World sevens? Series, yep. Yeah, the World yep. Series this year that both men's and women's teams would be holding the trophy aloft at the end of it. So it's a fantastic result for both coaches. And um, we've spoken about it in the past, how they did a bit of a swap leading into this year after the the last, um, the Com Games. And so it, it is um, really exciting for Australian rugby in, in general, just to have two teams really up there consistently performing and um, having a team. When we look at the Wallabies, the inconsistency, the, the one thing you can bank on is the ups and downs that they have, that you can tune into the sevens and really expect to see the same faces and expect to see some good results being played. Some of the hits that were being in the, the game I watched, I didn't get a chance to watch the final, the bronze medal playoff match for the men's, mm. but the, 
the semi-final last night against Fiji, some of the hits that they were taking and just popping straight back up and like getting back into position and things was just absolutely incredible. There was a few of those that I reckon if, if there was a 15-man game, the player would be lying down there for an extra few seconds and, and milking a penalty or, or walking off stretches. <laughs> or there Nick was one hit all over the place. <laughs> there was one hit by, I think it was um, Anderson uh, or Turner, one of the Turner oh. that got the yellow card. He... Uh, went up high to sort of bat the ball back into the field of play when it was going over the sideline. And one of the Fijian wingers just absolutely lined him up and from about 10 metres, running at full pelt, just cleaned him up right under the the shoulder, like under the nipple line and just absolutely smashed him. But he got straight back up and got into position and kept playing. And I was, I thought he, he would at least have two or three ribs that would be hurting today. The intensity and the physicality of the sevens game continually amazes me. So well done to all of the athletes, women and men who have performed so well over this weekend. Um, it's been great to watch. And yeah, you definitely enjoyed the break after a long competition and time of being kind of on and off the road with your coaches, your team, support staff, and away from family. So enjoy the rest, enjoy the celebrations. And uh, congratulations again to both sides, but particularly the women for the incredible work that they've done coming away with the gold medal. Like I said before, the Commonwealth Games gold medal as well and the World Rugby Seven Series champions. So huge round of applause. Well done. Well done. And can't wait to support you moving forward. Well, I think, and the, the exciting thing for Australian fans and particularly New South Wales-based fans that the next, well, the start of next year's World Series is being played and hosted in Sydney. So the Sydney Sevens kicks off the tournament in 2023. So look out for that. Get amongst it. We've got two teams in really good form to put in a good performance um, for Sydney. Forget about the Wallabies. Don't worry about that result. Uh, the team to get behind <laughs> is the Australian men's and women's sevens team. And um, get get there if you can and, and cheer them on at the Sydney sevens, I think, January next year. I'm pretty sure they need more media to cover that event, don't they? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, there'll be, yeah, yeah. There'll be more, more opportunities for us, hopefully, next year to get amongst it and... <laughs> And get some interviews with the players and whatnot. So, yeah, we'll be doing be what we can to get there. That will be gold. All right, mate, let's move on. Been good talking about sevens. Let's get into the Blitters way. Let's go. Hey. And I'll run this bit. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. All right, now it is time to talk about the Bledder Slow Cup. And I think this is the most exciting point of the year as a Wallabies fan, the week before the Bledisloe competition or the two-match series this year kicks off and we're sitting here and we're optimistic and we're hopeful and we're all thinking this is the year that we get the Bledisloe back before we come crush, crashing back down to earth next week with the realisation when the Wallabies get absolutely pantsed by the All Blacks. But before we get into our, our 23 and how we see this uh, next two-game series going, how are you feeling, Ando? Where are you sitting at the moment? Are you optimistic? Are you excited? What are your general well, thoughts? I'm usually pretty optimistic, and I think that's just my general state of being about Australian rugby. There's always hope, you know? There's always hope. And so that's kind of where I am at the moment. I don't remember the last time we won the Bledisloe. I wasn't a rugby fan when we did, so it means kind of little to me. And so I'm just kind of used to I thought to you were going to say us. I wasn't alive. And I was like, it, was only, it wasn't only that long ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Um, but I just, I, I'm used to the idea that we don't have the Bledisloe. So us actually beating New Zealand twice in a row, one of those being at Eden Park, is pretty, it's pretty, 
pretty hard task. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a big ask. Yeah. So I'm hopeful, but I'm not expectant like Jamie Pandaram is. <laughs> I think we've got to take that in a little bit of reality in that he writes articles to get views. And so I don't think if we spoke to him today, he'd be as optimistic as he was then. But I think he he got his point across. And there was a lot of people that were sharing his article and sharing the link and saying, we don't agree with this. Don't buy into this. Um, but are you excited? Are you, are you looking forward to seeing what the Wallabies dish up in game one? It is being played down in Melbourne. It's a few days away now, being played Thursday night. That's uh, a bit of a unique thing in of itself. We've got a test match on a Thursday night. We've had Wednesday night last year with the French series. We've now got Thursday night. How, do you, how are you feeling around it? How do you think it's going to go? Well, I'm pretty... Starting with a Thursday night thing, in some ways it's a good idea because you've got the finals for um, NRL and AFL on at the moment. And so I'm actually heading to the pub with you, but we're going with a bunch of my mates who um, aren't all massive rugby union supporters, but they're like, the Wallabies are on Thursday night. Go out and have a few beers and a meal at the pub. Great. Good shout. And so they would normally have chosen NRL over a uh, Wallabies game, but they've got the opportunity, so they're going to go, which is great. So I think from that point of view, Thursday night's going to work well. Um, look, I am. I really wish New Zealand does that, hadn't So before we get moved, yeah. does that add extra pressure to this game? If we've got all of these extra eyeballs, we don't have the excuse of the league is turning into an NRL final. We don't have the AFL finals clashing <laughs> time slots. We have, we're on the main channel on channel nine now. We've got more eyeballs to tune in and watch the Wallabies. Does that add extra pressure as Wallabies fans, as the diehard, that we need a good performance to justify why Look, we have put so much time and effort into the team in gold? I get a lot of crap in the group chat, you know? Um, I cop a lot for the state of rugby union in Australia. So I'd really appreciate a good game since I'm going to watch it with these mates. Um, so pressure for me, yes. For the team, absolutely not. Won't change a thing for them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but for me. So look, if New Zealand hadn't smashed Argentina last week, I would have been in much higher um, levels of, ex not expectation, but thinking this, we could actually get a win, uh, particularly away in, in, in park. Uh, but they're somewhat returned to form last week. I mean, we don't know if it's form or just one up considering their challenges this season. Um, yeah, it, it's a really hard one to predict because both teams have been consistently inconsistent. That's right. And we, we're currently sitting recording this on Monday night. Let us know is Thursday night. We don't know the official time of announcement of the teams, but we expect Tuesday Tomorrow evening, hopefully, Wednesday morning, you would expect it to be out in the latest within 24 hours of kickoff. Uh, so we don't know as well in regards to the availability of some of the players that got injured last week. So Taniel Tupo, Hunter Paisami, and Noel Alessio. We will get into briefly our, uh, shortly, sorry, we will shortly get into our 23s that we would be picking if we were in the selection seat. We were Dave Rennie. Um, but Artie Sevilla is not traveling. Does that give you any optimis optimism that we might be able to put in a performance like we did week one against South Africa? Big bodies, big hits, go forward, momentum. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually how I've chosen my team um, a little bit more so than if maybe if Artie hadn't been playing. I think he's just integral to their forward pack. He's basically the best forward within their team. Um, and his loss is significant. Now, they obviously have a whole line of other players that are really good quality. They're going to come in. Akira Yawani will probably step in 
at eight, maybe. Or Hoskins um, to 2-2. Or Hoskins to 2-2. another player that's been penciled yeah. in there. So either way, like they've they've got class <laughs> that are going to be replacing they always do. They always, they always do. do. They always do. Um, but yeah, they're just, they lose they're one world class player and bring in another. Yep, I know, I know. How about you, mate? How are you feeling in a lead up to it? Nervous, and I was yeah. nervous in that first test, uh, that test last week against the Springboks. I just wasn't quite sure how the Wallabies were going to bounce back. This is not our best team. Uh, this is not uh, the the 15 or the 23 that Dave Rennie would be picking for a World Cup final should everyone be available. We know we are missing so many players. It's a big ask. We know New Zealand get up for the Bledisloe every single year. They may be losing games, or they're not normally losing games consistently leading into a Bledisloe series, but we know that from the past, they can get up and they can put in good performances to retain the cup. They will... In, I've heard it said by a lot of New Zealand fans that they value the Bledisloe over a World Cup. So that shows the amount of respect that they put into this competition and into this rivalry between Australia. So I don't expect the All Blacks to come in and not fire any shots. I think they're going to come in um, guns loaded and ready to go. And I really hope that we can, we can match that. We need a big start. So... Shall we get into predictions before we get into our 23s then? What do you, how are you? No, no, because my prediction's based upon my 23. So uh, I'd rather go through the 23 and talk about what I'm okay. hoping for from the right. players and then talk about predictions. Okay, let's start with our predictions then. So this is our predicted, tw- well, this is the 23 that we would like to see, not necessarily the 23 we think Dave Rennie will pick, but the team that if we were the Wallabies coach, we would be picking to beat the All Blacks. Let's- now, one quick thing, one quick thing I'll say is I've made the following assumptions in terms of injuries and Mitch, you might just want to say what assumptions you've made. Okay. I have assumed that Lolisio, Paisami and Tupo are unavailable because of unavailable. the injuries from last week. Yeah. Okay. I had so contingencies in said? place. Okay. So I'll shift do you, those Do you want around. to put in the contingencies and we'll just make that straight yep. assumption across the both of us? Yep. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So Lolisio, Paisami and Let's see then. Let's see how many of this 23 is the same because that often, <laughs> that's often what happens. But we'll, we'll break this down into to sections. So we'll start with the front row. You yep. run through first your front row, Ando, and I'll let you know of any changes I've made. And then we'll go bench after that yep. for the front rowers. Um, Slipper, Fainga'a, and Alan Alato. Ooh, interesting. I've gone with Parecki as my starting hooker. Yep, cool. Fair enough. And then for the bench is Parecki, Bell, and Farmacilli. Really? Oh, so we're yep. going without Tupo, aren't we? Yeah, correct. Um, okay, so I've gone, I had Fayangaa on the bench, Bell and Tupo, but if yep. Tupo's not available, um, I'll have to go with, yeah, Falma Silly as well then, because I don't think we yep, have real. another tight head. So it's basically the same six, you've just chosen a different hooker to start. Yeah. That's it. Easy. Okay, cool. Blocks. For my second row, I've gone with uh, number four, Swain, and number five, Philip. Yep, same. Same, and on the bench, I've put Neville. Yep, same. <laughs> okay. Very easy. Well so far. What's back your back row. row combination? This might be a bit different. Oh, okay. Mine's the stock standard Holloway, McRide, Valentini with Samu on a bench. Ooh, okay. So mine is different. So I've gone with Holloway 6, Valentini 8, and Samu at 7. Ah, and cool. on the bench, I've got uh, Leota. So I've gone yeah, okay. for a selection that's based on go forward, aggression, um, you know, big ball carry, that sort of dominance that we, we, we will need against the All Blacks and that we saw sort of game one in, against South Africa. Um, I'm also, I kind of think that Samu has a, more of an on-ball presence at the moment than 
McWright. McWright has been good really? at the breakdown. He has been good at the breakdown, but I think Samu also is a bigger body. He has the ability to, to steal and get the pilfers as well, but he also can bust tackles more so than McWright. So that's why I've included yeah, right. him. Okay, don't agree with you, but I understand why you picked it. Um, and for me, McWright's value is his ability, his speed across the park. Um, the All Blacks, loose forwards, and um, their back line are just, I think, pound for pound, probably a bit bigger than ours. And so having a really rapid number seven that can get around and support at the breakdown in the wider channels, I think would be really helpful. So that's that for me. Um, now, your 9-10 combo, mate. Uh, I've gone with Nick White, and since Lolesio is not available, I've gone with Foley. Ooh, okay. I've got White and Hodge in there. So 9 and 10, uh, White and Hodge. Wow, interesting. Okay. And do you have a utility back on the bench, or shall we just... Let's just go through the back line, 11 to 15, Okay. So then I've gone with my back three combination, Corabetti on one wing, Kellaway on the other with Kirtley Beal at fullback. Oh, that's so interesting. And who are your centers? Uh, I've got Hodge in for Paisami and Nikitao at 13. Yeah, okay, cool. So my back line, I'll just read it 9 to 15, is White, Hodge, Corambete, Fakedi, Ikitao, Wright, and Kellaway. So I haven't put Beal um, in the starting 15, and I don't have Foley either. Look so at your, your Blues. Team? Look at your Waratahs bias coming through, mate. You just want full, You just want 2015 World Cup to be back here again. <laughs> no, I just think that at the moment, Without Lalesio, we need an experienced fly half to be to be selected. I don't <laughs> think Hodge he, he's served his position there at fly half, but we need someone. We need his versatility in the back line. So if we don't have, um, did you select Beal at all in there? So Beal is my twenty three. So my bench backs are Gordon Pattaya and Beal. So I've gone with, uh, I've gone with McDermott. Vunavalu, and I've also got Bill there, so I need to swap him out since I've got him in. I'll uh, probably bring in. Um, that's a good one. That's thrown me a second there. You probably you'd probably be bringing in Pattaya because you need back three cover yeah. in your team. You've got um, Foley, Hodge, and Bill all there. So if Hodge goes, if um, Foley goes down, Bill or Hodge can step into ten um, as required. But yeah, that's a good yeah. Show. That's, that's really interesting. So I like, um, why the inclusion of Vunavalu on your end? I just think we need to see him. He needs game time at the moment. And we've got the back line I've chosen really out, outside of Corabetti and Ikitao. Any of those players could really play in multiple positions across the back line. So if we found ourselves in a position like we did against South Africa a few weeks ago, we've got options. We're not going to have mm. Gordon uh, on the wing and and Hodge out of position. So uh, Foley at 10, Hodge at 12, uh, Kellaway at 14 with Beal at 15. All of those players could really interchange and, and do an okay job. Um, I think we then, that allows us to bring on a player like Vunavalu, who can is an out-and-out winger who can come on um, should we need it. Should there be an injury, you can shift, say, Kellaway somewhere else and put Vunavalu on. I yeah, think sure. that he's the type of player that New Zealand aren't really sure of what he will bring. Yeah. Uh, and he's not really been tested at this level yet. So let's give it a crack. If we don't win See, this I, week, the Bledisloe is gone. 
I like what you're saying within the um, forward dominance and aggression that you're trying to put in within a team. And that's some of the basis of how I selected my team, my 23 as well. And I'm really just shouting back to that uh, 2019 victory over in Perth, 47 to 26 against the All Blacks, where Reese Hodge was the 10 with Nick White on the inside. Um, and the way in which we just absolutely dominated them through forward play and Nick White actually controlling a game more so as the main distributor rather than Hodge. He would just insert himself at various points and was a lot more direct with his ball playing. He wasn't doing wide passes, but more just kind of little pop pops here and there. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for as well within this match. Um, I chose to not play around with the back line a huge amount, but bring in the newer players from the bench because I just wanted to um, try and have a bit more co cohesion within the team. Basically that idea it's not even the right way of using the word cohesion. Basically, just try and keep the combinations that have been in play. Um, so the back line is basically exactly the same. Um, and Ikatao is remaining exactly there. It's just Fakedi and Hodge are the only changes within the whole back line. I just worry with selecting Hodge at 10 that uh, we don't... He, he's played that half second, half a half against Argentina there when Cooper went down. Um, to cover that, and then the week after he started at 10. But outside of that, he played no 10 for the Rebels this year. And we're going mm. up against the All Blacks, and they will, um, they, will make mis they will punish mistakes. And so I would prefer to have a player who has played 10 consistently this season, maybe not at the level the Wallabies are playing at, maybe not in international, not even in Australia, but I, I feel like Foley's probably a more assured selection at 10 and will bring a more consistent approach than potentially what Hodge will. Um, yep. I will say, and we did sort of uh, highlight this before we, we went read through our 23, but this is our contingency based on injuries. If we don't have those injuries, which is what I was really the team that I'm looking and hoping for, it's a much settled, it's a more settled backline. So I'm going with yep. Lalesio at 10, Korobetti at 11, Paisami at 12, Ikatao 13, Kellaway at 14. So I dropped Tom Wright um, mm -hmm. and then Hodge at 15, which yep. then brings on Beale and Vunavalu as, and McDermott as those backs. The, reserves which i think is a more settled backline combination we then have beal that has the ability to slot in at 15 or at 10 if we need him all the centers even uh and bunuvalo as well i think at the moment yep. as i said before let's just give him a crack and see what he can bring it's interesting to think about um marika wasn't 100 percent at the end of the last game so i wonder if he actually might be in need of a rest to recover from whatever um whatever it's been, issue he had if so bunuvalo Eight minutes, eight, week, for me. eight days, nine days, yeah. 10 days. Yeah, but he's played like every minute of every second and every minute of the international season so far um, for us. So I'd, be, I'd just be putting Vunabalu in if Marika wasn't 100%. The other question um, that I, I have as well and, and around this is, and I know at the moment as Australian fans, we're sitting here and saying we need to do everything we possibly can to win the Bledisloe. But realistically, this is the last two tests we have in the rugby championships. And the next is the spring tour. In November, uh, we already know from the news that's been announced that we don't have the Gitto Law or the international players to select, so we won't have Corabetti, we won't have Bernard Foley. So, if Lalesio is out and he's out for a consistent amount of time, we don't have a backup, so we won't be able to choose these players to to test them later. So, if Foley is shaping as a potential option for the World Cup next year, we need to play him now. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, mate, how do you think the game is going to actually go? Um, are, we, are we going with our heads or with our hearts? No, you tell me. 
I think the All Blacks will probably win this by 10 or 15 points. I, yeah. I just, I'm not too sure how our prep has been this week. I don't know. I mean, even if Alessio and Paisami are a- available for selection, they will not have had contact training prior to Wednesday. So tomorrow. Or, yeah. Or yeah. next few days. So they're, they're not going to be at full capacity either, even if they are selected. So it's probably going to be a bit of a disjointed team that we do end up selecting with the injuries that we have. And as we said before, the All Blacks are going to be firing for this. So I expect them to put in a big performance. Yep. Yeah, look, it's, it's a really hard one. I was thinking 15 um, against us. That's my head and my kind of negative part of me going. I think we've got the capacity to win this game. I mean, as we've seen throughout the whole of the rugby championship, teams are so very close that if you're off on, um, I think, what was them saying? Like 2%, if you're off 2% across any of your areas, you just get absolutely smashed. And so let's just hope that it's um, the Barrett brothers that are off in 2% of their areas. And then, then we, <laughs> we've got a good chance <laughs> this coming Thursday night. Uh, either way, it's going to be great fun to be able to watch the Wallabies, uh, Wallabies, Wallabies. again. And... Um, support the team so make sure that you get involved watch it across thursday night and hype the game up and get your friends out to if you're in melbourne get out to the game and if you're at any other place around the country then head out to a local pub or check it on stan sports or on nine it'll be it'll be shown on nine hey yeah on the main channel on channel nine as well um i, I will also say that if and this is a prediction for bled two game two if we can get lalesio picked this week and the wallabies can somehow spark and, and get the victory in Melbourne, we go to the Decider Eden Park. I want Dave Rennie to select Beal and Foley purely for the injection that they will bring, the excitement. The uh, We saw that against South Africa, that first game where Quade Cooper was selected. He had an absolute blinder, played out of his skin. We only need one great game from Beal and Foley to potentially get the Bledisloe back, and we've got nothing to lose at that point. If we're going to Eden Park uh, with you know one one win under our belts already roll the dice and let's see if we can do it well that is a bold call i love it why don't we move on my friend actually no we've just finished our conversation there that's it we went through the locker room earlier when we were chatting with um m how good well mate that's been fun really enjoyed chatting and um mate how good was m she was great to have on yeah really great insight and um again get you give your support to both the wallabies and the wallaroos over the coming weeks and and do tune into Stan Sport. Stan Sport does have all games for the women's and the men's rugby world cups this year. So later in a few weeks' time, World Cup in New Zealand, and then in France next year, the men's world cup as well. So if you're not uh, subscribed to Stan Sport already, I don't know what you're doing, but get amongst <laughs> it. Get amongst it. All right, it's been a pleasure. Have an awesome week and make sure you get behind the Wallabies this Thursday night for the Bledisloe match down in Melbourne. And Catch don't forget team. to get your tips in. Super Brew, get them in. Oh, yeah, good point. Bloody great. So thanks, everybody. Have an <laughs> awesome, awesome week. Bye. All right, bye.